We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the conference championship edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to unpack all of the divisional round action and dive into both the AFC and the NFC championship matchups. It's going to be a great show. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast NFL Conference Championship Weekend Upcoming. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Uh, Mario, we had some breaking news come across uh, shortly before we sat down uh, to, to record this fine episode here. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you know, famous friend of, of the pod, guy that we, uh, we've we been big, Mentor, big proponents of. Probably, you'd say. Yeah, uh, all, all the above. Uh, so he has been uh, tabbed as the new OC for the New York football jets, your thoughts. And it's, uh, it's a lot to sort out. And I would wonder, you know, how this happened. It's not obvious to me that this would be for any particular reason necessarily. Like it could be for a variety of reasons. And it could of course be as simple as what I would imagine most people are kind of flocking to right now, which is, Looks like the Jets are trying to get Aaron Rodgers or, uh, you know, they're, they're putting the option on the table for themselves, at least. I don't know. Um, that could be the case. It could be some kind of, you know, they, they maybe they view it as like, well, we got to fill the offensive coordinator role with somebody. Why not? Uh, let's see if we can make a pick that also gets us, that increases our odds or something of getting Rodgers or. I don't know. I, I it, it it's it's uh it's possible that it's that it's possible that it's uh that with the approval of Robert Saleh, it's also pro- possible that it's that without the approval of Robert Saleh. Like this could be Joe Douglas acting over Robert Saleh without Saleh's input, uh, which I wouldn't be surprised if it's the case. It, it could be either one. I mean, Saleh could be fine with it too. Uh especially with how desperate he probably is at this point. Like he's, he's not maybe more of like a beggar than he might've been a couple of years ago, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think solid. He's, he's kind of like a no nonsense kind of 
don't know. I could imagine him having some slightly, as most jocks, I can have imagine him having some slightly reactionary opinions about uh, social norms or whatever. Uh, I could see him <laughs> not really getting along with a uh, bubbly, sweet, uh, uh, just just kind of a silly goose of a man uh, that Nate Hackett is. So uh, I don't know. I, I, they don't seem like a great personality type fit to me exactly, but um, maybe they can just work in different labs and never really have to deal with each other that much. I don't know. Um, I, I am more skeptical of Joe Douglas than a lot of people. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was basically done without uh, Sally's input or if it was sort of, uh, you know, Hey, we're doing this. Yeah, just, 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 uh, it's like Sally can't do anything about it. Douglas is the GM. He is basically his boss, even though Joe Douglas is, you might wonder, like, what did Joe Douglas do to be somebody's boss? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, not doing a great job, as far as I can tell, but that, that's how the world works, guys. Uh, <laughs> you, are, you are very dumb. Tell uh, masses of people to do things for them, and we have to do that because that's, that's the way the world works. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it, you know, if we just if we say, yeah, they trade for Aaron Rodgers this offseason and for some reason the Hackett hiring, you know, makes that more likely for the Jets, makes it more possible for the Jets, then I guess, you know, what's the harm? And this isn't the first time Hackett's been an offensive coordinator either. I, I think um, uh, to, to, to varying levels of success, he was the offensive coordinator with the, the, the Packers. He probably wasn't the play caller, but he was with the Jaguars, I think, under Doug Marone. And uh, those Bortles offenses, it's it's like, I don't know, they're they're bad for the most part, of course. But I don't know how much how much of that had to do with Hackett specifically. My 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 take on Hackett as a as a schemer is that he's one of these guys who um, he probably is a decent positional coach or whatever. He probably runs a decent practice. He probably teaches the concepts basically well. But I don't think he's a thinker of any sort. Like I I, I would imagine he's just the kind of a, a good soldier coach who's just sort of Learned from his dad the way you're supposed to do it, and he, he just he believes in truisms and he believes in sayings like this is the way you do it, and he doesn't consider the possibility that the thing that he's been taught to do is not the only way to do something, and so I doubt he has any sort of like, um, I doubt he has any kind of like insight or or adaptability. I think he just kind of was taught a certain system, uh, is competent at running that kind of system for the most part, but can't do anything else and can't elevate anyone, and so. Um, beyond greasing the track or whatever to get Rogers as a pickup, I, I don't really see any sort of like plus utility from Hackett, but it is possible that, you know, now that he's not a head coach, now that he doesn't have the authority that he did with the Broncos, maybe he goes from, you know, a horrible net effect on a team to, you know, fairly noticeable one. So uh, in the event that they don't pull off, a Rodgers move. I, I guess we're assuming that they will have a quarterback other than Zach Wilson next year. But say it's it's not Aaron Rodgers. Like, is he going to be able to to get enough out of this offense? I mean, it seems like outside of quarterback, there there is enough there for for the Jets to you know have a competent you know offensive system. But you know, can he pull that off? Right. I was actually pretty low on Michael LaFleur. He's, he's really young, so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets better at some point. It's easy to forget Sean Payton, when he was much younger, was the offensive coordinator for the Giants and had his play calling taken away by Jim Fossil. And Payton eventually 
still turned into a, a guru type. So maybe maybe uh, Matt Lafleur. Uh, is it Mike or I can't even Mike Lafleur. Matt Lafleur Mike is, is the the, yeah. <laughs> Mike Mike Lafleur, uh, the younger one who doesn't even look like the other Lafleur. Uh, he he might be a, he might turn out okay despite getting fired for Nate Hackett, but uh, I I do think the Jets showed some kind of alarming personnel judgment on offense, and I think uh, I think Lafleur was the kind of guy to sort of hear about or read about some cool cutting edge thing, and then just kind of like indulge the premise without really mastering it before. And specifically, he he had a couple good ideas. Like he was really committed to running up tempo. And he, he really believed in, like, stressing the defense with tempo. And I, I certainly believe in that, too. Um, but he, he wasn't really uh, – he wasn't spending enough time, in my opinion, looking at the sum of personnel that he had and, and make, make like, a, an honest effort to figure out the way to maximize all of it cumulatively. I think he more so just kind of would, would go, you know, go into the office thinking, like, we got to get this guy. We got to get Braxton Berrios the ball. We got to get Braxton Berrios going. Like, no, you don't. If you think that you you're lost, you got to go back to work, you know, start over. Um, so he'll, he'll have the chance to, to grow from it and come back a, a better version of himself. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if Hackett is kind of like a better, uh, or like not, not better overall, certainly not better in the long term. but in the meantime, he might have some sort of kind of stabilizing effect that Lafleur might otherwise struggle to establish. Oh, the other thing, uh, Lafleur being the kind of guy, to believe in like hot hand logic, uh, hot, hot hand, whatever at uh, approach at running back and, and being convinced that Zonovan Knight was better than Michael Carter. Like, man, you just saw these guys playing in the same conference like a year and a half ago. No one watching North Carolina and North Carolina state had any trouble telling who was better between Michael Carter and Zonovan Knight. But Lafleur, uh, maybe it was just out of desperation. Like maybe he didn't believe it either. Maybe he was like, I, I, I don't even think Knight's any good, but I'm just going to, mash any button that I can to get a better result than what we've gotten. That's kind of one of the, that's one of the things that's like, yeah, fair enough, I guess. But also that's, that's not good enough. You know, you gotta, you gotta right. come up, you gotta scrape something together better than I press the other button. What do you want me to do? Um, so I, I think Hackett could bring uh, more like fundamental soundness, if nothing else. Uh, and if he's calling plays, I mean, he'll probably be some version of not good, but the truth is most, play callers in the NFL are some version of not good. So it, it, in the end, it probably won't be a big deal is my guess. Okay. Understood. Understood. Well, well said all around. It, yeah. It, it doesn't really move the needle uh, for me too much either. And then uh, one more OC uh, note or, or discussion point. Uh, if, if you were the Ravens, who would your uh, wish list be? <sighs> um. I don't know. It's almost got to be someone from like the college ranks or something. And I don't, uh, God, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, the, the answer is, is likely to be someone that Harbaugh doesn't necessarily have access to. And so I, I don't know what it's, what's the answer going to be. If it's, you can only choose from people who, uh, you know, are, are two degrees removed from Stanford coaching trees or something. Uh, which is apparently the the main criterion, or else I don't know how else Greg Roman stuck around this long. But uh, I don't, my, I've said before, my dream coach for Lamar Jackson would actually be Chip Kelly. Uh, so what I think would would get Lamar the best return for his abilities is an up tempo approach. The tempo is is just for both for like a general source of stress for the defense and because it's specifically a way 
to uh, test their their conditioning depth in the run game. And so, you know, in the Greg Roman offense, it's a problem to have J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and get them enough work. In a Chip Kelly offense, they both get enough work because you're getting to the line so much faster. You're snapping so many more plays that you do need two 15-carry running backs. It's not like you, you have two... Uh, capable of taking 15 plus carries and you have, you know, just 15 each, maybe 12 to 15 each game to get between the two with, with Chip Kelly or somebody like that, you'd be testing that, that run strain that Lamar of course presents. And then those running backs, I think with tempo at their side can, can, you know, maximize their usage and efficiency both. And then I want to play off that threat, uh, big, fast, at receiver tight end, uh, striking downfield when it's there, but uh, you know, you run to get those corners up and then you go deep that kind of thing. And I think Chip Kelly does all that stuff really well. I thought Greg Roman couldn't have been much worse at it. So um, in a way, I think almost anyone would be an upgrade, but I am worried. It's like, what is this going to be like David Shaw's quarterbacks coach? Oh, or that would be like that. Uh, I would be. So, yeah. It's either, it's either that or it's going to be like some Cam Cameron doofus, you know, some, some guy who was like a failed offensive coordinator who started as a quarterbacks coach in the nineties that John Harbaugh still has in his Rolodex. And it is a Rolodex, John. And oh, yeah. I don't know, I don't know what, again, I do believe that just about anybody would be better than Roman, but I am also getting like preemptively angry about how unnecessarily weak, whatever the hiring will, will turn out to be like, if it's somebody who's, it's, I'm just terrified. It's going to be, uh, I don't know, like, like some, uh, I guess they already did morning wig, didn't they? So they can't yeah. do morning wig. <laughs> yeah. Marty, morning Marty wig. ball. It literally happened. Um, Hey, I don't know, man. It's, yeah. the- I hope it's someone chip brain, someone like that, but I don't know who that even is. Um, so, <laughs> I was trying to come up with like a uh, chip in the brain joke, but um, and then I, I've seen uh, some fanfic uh, about uh, Bobby Petrino, who uh, actually just got <laughs> hired by Texas A&M to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, the Ravens scooping in and, and poaching him. Obviously, he is connection it. to Lamar uh, fr- from the Louisville days. Um, that would be interesting. And then as far as like the the realistic options, I've seen the the guy who took over play calling in Denver the last couple of weeks of the season. That's an awfully small sample uh, to, to be working that? with. I don't know. I, I, I don't I know his name. I thought it was like that Rose, Roseburg consultant guy or whatever. <laughs> well, uh, whoever right. it was, I mean, the Denver's offense looked better. It, 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 you know, again, we're, we're measuring against couldn't be much worse. So, you, you know, that how much can you really extrapolate from that? But uh, I don't know that I was a little bit more encouraged by like just the mystery box that then like the um, rusted out boat that would be like a Frank Reich or something. Oh, yeah, I would, I'd hate that. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Also, I, I would I'd would be better at answering this question if I knew as much about college football coaches as you. But I think. Uh, somebody who's kind of uh, somebody's I don't know uh, somebody who's who's part of a system that is spread oriented at the collegiate level and shows like a grasp of the passing game, but also that kind of like uh, you know Chip Kelly and uh, this other guy's Satan, of course, but Art Briles, like that kind of offense where at Baylor where it was like they actually run the ball a ton but they run so many plays that people mistake them for a pass happy offense, just because they'd also have a bunch of games where they get to like 35, 40 pass attempts. But the reason they did that was because they were pushing for like 80, 82 plays a game. So I think that kind of mentality is what would, that that kind of thinking is what 
suits uh, the abilities best of Lamar. So I'd, someone of that kind of background, I'd be willing to, you know, take a gamble on uh, almost blindly uh, because, you know, the, the candidates that are known, the name, the list that might actually exist, it's it's not really interesting to me. All right, the, we need to, we need Baltimore to go check in at, at UTSA and and see yeah. if uh, see if their OC uh, would, would be. Is, uh, what about that Tulane guy? Is that uh, Fritz? He always seems yeah, to win a lot. Yeah, Fritz. Yeah, no, he. But I, he's kind of old though. Um, I know he's so. old as hell. He's like eighty. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's exactly what they need. Is like a, uh, they need the kind of they need the kind of football coach who's old and still, you know, like they, they need a Johnny Cash kind of coach who's 80 but still listens to nine inch nails yeah that kind of guy yes okay all right so we 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 have our vision board set um we'll we'll see if if the execution can can be made by eric DaCosta and company uh let's go ahead and and move on do a little post-mortem on some of the teams that that bowed out gracefully or not so gracefully uh last weekend start with the jaguars kind of your your 10,000 foot view on, on their season. What, what needs to happen for them this off season? Yeah, they need downfield targets on offense. They need a 25 snap running back. Who is not Jermichael hasty. They presumably could do better at one or two offensive line spots. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, defense. I don't know what to make them Caldwell, that defensive coordinator they hired from Tampa Bay. Like there were times when their defense looked so bad. And then other times where, you almost maybe started to see them kind of catch on with, with these ambitious concepts. Like the Caldwell defense was pretty ambitious and it's like uh, complexity. So sometimes schemes like that, especially when there's, you know, turnover personnel turnover, in addition, it can, uh, it can make, it can take a while for them to start playing well together, even if they're capable of it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Caldwell, you know, get get to to year two or three as a coordinator. Maybe he can really take off when he has that much time to that much continuity among his personnel. So their, their defense might be on the right track, despite, in my opinion, looking pretty bad most of the year. And at the very least, they uh, they need another corner. I would say they could use better linebackers, but Trent Balky already spent so much there that they can't right. do anything there forever now. So uh, they're spending a ton of money in draft capital at linebacker for probably at best like average returns. That's a pretty big setback. Um, so they need more. They need a lot more in the pass rush, actually. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Trayvon Walker just kind of goes nuts someday. But he's still very young and he's he's still like unrefined. So they can't really count on they can't really count on him to be like. Uh, they, they need him to be like an occasional sort of like force of nature, not like a play to play kind of like, you know, anchor of the defense. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's something going there. I mean, I like Doug enough. He, he over the course of the year showed the ability to kind of figure things out, which sounds like a low bar, but it's really not, or at least it's something you can't take for granted with most of these coaches. Uh Doug, you know, he might have a wrong idea, but when he when he sees it doesn't work, he won't say, "Guess the players failed me." Like mm. he'll, he'll say, "Like okay, guess we'll try something else." Then and most coaches just go, "I, I, I got to get these guys. These guys suck. I need better players." It's like mm-hmm. Doug, Doug at least goes, "Like well, what are these guys even good at?" And we'll, you know, be open to new ideas over the course of the year. But um, they got to get Marvin Jones off the field. If they had had, if they had DJ Chark instead of Marvin Jones this year, there's a chance they beat the chiefs. Like they really, 
would have had a shot. But uh, th- there's right now no vertical elements in the in the uh, the Jaguars' offense. The and vertical Ridley element- doesn't fix that necessarily, does he? No, he doesn't. And uh, what he do- he does, I will say, he he definitely is is so much better than Marvin Jones that it'll have like a transformational effect anyway. Sure. But the way you get Trevor Lawrence to really go insane is you got to give him the vertical threat because Lawrence will toy with the defense and he's, he's got a little bit of like that Mahomes kind of thing where uh, he'll toy with the defense and he can just kind of access any level of the defense. He can, he can set up throwing pockets from anywhere. He can, he can, he can move, you know, set up a, a new pocket somewhere else. And so he, he doesn't even need like, freak receivers so much as he just needs someone who can get to a point B in a certain amount of time that he he can, you know, calibrate in his head and, and develop a rhythm in response to. So in the case of Mahomes, all he really needs is Valdez Scantling and Valdez Scantling, his speed dictates certain reactions and, and alignment details from the defense, which Mahomes can look at pre-snap and he, he, he can't really make Mahomes, uh, Mahomes can't make Valdez Scantling like a star receiver but he can use him to figure out so many things and, and dictate so many things that from that point, it just becomes a matter of like Mahomes' judgment and given his ability to access any part of the field and his ability to almost always correctly deduce things. Like he just puts up numbers automatically, even with receivers who aren't really stars. And I think Trevor Lawrence can absolutely be that same sort of thing, but they still don't have the speed. The speed mm. is Jamal Agnew who plays 15 snaps a game and gets like five targets and three carries on those 15 snaps. So it's like, right. he goes it's in the game. Tell. Yeah. The defense just immediately is like, Hey, they put in Agnew. Let's kill him. <laughs> it's like they just, they, they will never be wrong for, for gunning straight at him when he's on the field. So anyway, they've got some, some good personnel. It's like Christian Kirk, I think is the real deal. And uh, they still use them too much. They were, they were too dependent on him as a vertical threat. Like they still wouldn't use Evan Ingram downfield, which I, I still don't agree with. I think that I think that guy should be running basically just posts, corners, and drag routes from wide alignments. He should not be running anything that brings him back facing toward the quarterback. He should never be uh I don't know, he should he should never be like running a curl at any depth. And uh the the longer the depth the better to me. Uh his four four two forty was the fastest on the offense, and yet they kept him usually around like six, seven yards of the line of scrimmage. So when your vertical threat is Christian Kirk or Travis Etienne, you as a defense start to you rule out certain concerns that you might have with other offenses who could threaten you vertically, and you start to uh it just makes the game harder on Lawrence the same way it makes the game harder on Justin Herbert with the charges. Like if you can't if the if the defense literally does not have to worry about defending the length of the field, then they won't do it. And if they if they only have to defend like eight ten yards, any defense will tell you that's much easier than fifteen twenty et cetera. So uh, they need some vertical element, and if they're not going to bench Zay Jones, then I don't know how they're going to get it exactly out of Ridley. But um, yeah, I I really wish they would just uh, phase out the, the way to maximize Ridley and Kirk and Lawrence is to basically phase out Zay Jones next year and put in uh, like a five hundred four hundred snap just. I don't know, burner or, or you know, ideally tall burner um, who you can use like the Valdez Scantling kind of like decoder uh, personnel before the snap. Yeah. So they, they definitely need to, to add that, that speed element, get a little bit more complete in the, in the, um, in the receiving core. You think they bring back Ingram? 
it would be a bad idea, I think. So, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be cost prohibitive. But Balky, he's an idiot. He's a vain moron. And he will see the relative success that the Jaguars had at the end of the year and the relative success that Engram had in that stretch as uh, a vindication of him, Trent Balky. He will uh, begin to see Evan Ingram not just as whatever he is, but like an, a monument to his own self, Trent Balky. And um, I think that vanity will lead him to uh, indulge a contract that Engram is not worth. Uh, and I think it'll kind of set them back a little bit, but hopefully not too much. I still think Engram could be more productive yet, uh, to be clear. Like, I, I think he's still not quite being used the right way. So, uh, and, and you know what? In a way, he could still be that vertical threat that I'm talking about. Even Ingram, even though he's not Valdez scaling, even though he's not a 4-3 guy, having a 230-pound route runner who's running a, four, a low 4-4, if the safety has him run at him a couple times, he'll start noticing him the, the way that he would Valdez Scantling because uh, it, it sucks when you're surprised by, uh, you know, you look out of the corner of your eye and you just, just notice this 230-4-4 guy running at you full speed, uh, being caught off guard like that will, will give you a heart attack and you'll, you'll keep an eye on him from the rest of the way. But if he's running curls, uh, running drags, it's like, yeah, you're instead going like, where's Kirk? Let's, let's bracket Kirk. Mm -hmm. Right. So they, they, they got to get a little bit more multiple out there. Um, let's move on to the giants. Uh, they got some key free agent decisions to, to make obviously. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, what's kind of your your view of of this season for for them? Um, do they need to stand pat and and or bite the bullet and and you know sign Daniel Jones to a fairly big deal or you know market rate deal type of deal? That'd be a disaster. Um, if it's if it's one of those funny money things where it's basically a one or two year deal, then whatever, sure. I guess you could do worse than Daniel Jones, but uh, I, I am a little irritated with some of the. Uh, the Daniel Jones apologia that we're seeing. It's like he, it's, it's one of those things where like everyone has low expectations for him. And then when he does slightly better, they lose the perspective of the fact that they had lower expectations for him and higher expectations for other quarterbacks. And they'll sort of just talk themselves into thinking that actually Daniel Jones is comparable to these other guys. Like, no, those other guys are only comparable in the sense of like your relative expectations. Like you were relatively surprised and, and, pleased with how Daniel Jones did. So you have this sense in your head of like Daniel Jones, good. Whereas you had higher expectations for whoever I'm sure there's some uh, lately, there's probably a bunch of people who are saying like, Daniel Jones is better than Dak Prescott or something. So like, let's use Dak as an example. Like people expect Dak to be good. And so when he is something more in line with what Daniel Jones usually is, they still can convince themselves like uh, Daniel Jones did better though. Like, mm. no, you have, you have to keep a perspective in mind. And the perspective with Daniel Jones is, this is a guy who has not completed uh, more than what, 66% of his passes in a year, which was this year, and uh, so it was a career best. And he's never gone over 6.8 yards per attempt, which was also, I think, a career best this year. So if you're, if you're in the sub-seven yards per attempt category and you're not completing well over 70% of your passes, you are not just some version of bad. You're, you're a bad that means an offense can't go. Like It's, mm. it's, it's like trying to say – uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's like trying to make the, it's trying to say like a battery that's completely dead is almost as good as a battery that doesn't have much energy left or something. It's like this, this, this is just not good enough. And 
if just because you could imagine it being a little better with improved receiver personnel doesn't mean then in that case that it would be enough either. Like this, this is bottom five in the league type stuff. It's completely unacceptable for any offense to budget passing games, passing returns like Daniel Jones has always had. The one change this year, it wasn't as a passer, really. I mean, he, he turned the ball over less, I guess you would say. But I think that's largely for structural reasons. I don't think that's mm-hmm. because of Jones changing. Uh, if you watch the Giants, they throw the ball as little as they can, and they use as much play action as they can on those pass attempts that they do call. And so everything that Jones does is simple. With Dable, like, Jones, Dable looked at Jones like, okay, we got to simplify things. we got to reduce the, the game for him to uh, basically like his toughness and his running ability. And we have to we have to leverage those things as much as we can. And we do that by limiting the interpretation that he has to do. We limit his exposure as a passer. And so you got this setup where like the Giants want to throw more. But when they do, they pretty much just have to run more with Jones. And uh, that at once was like a it's an example of how Dable's so good. He's practical and pragmatic. But it's also uh, it's, it's like a trick that'll wear out quickly. And you need better personnel to, to get over. To, to account for the adjustment that's waiting for you. And I think you saw it a little bit in that playoff game. Uh, by the way, he had two good games this year, Daniel Jones. Both were against the Vikings. Yep. So uh, <laughs> if someone were to just look at his non-Viking stats this year, they would actually conclude he got worse. Um, or at least his his like completion percentage and yards per attempt and touchdown percentage had gotten worse. 15 touchdowns on, on his pass attempt volume is is awful. I, I, got, I should have uh, to back up a bit. To really get a beat on just how ineffective Daniel Jones is as a passer, you have to note the interaction between uh, touchdown percentage, yards per attempt, completion percentage, and uh, field position. And basically, when when a when a quarterback has only 15 touchdowns, uh, and touchdown production is a downward pressure on yards per attempt, uh, if he only has 15 touchdowns in that many pass attempts, and then still only has 6.8 yards per attempt, that's like that's a defense beating you with almost out even trying to mm. like that's that is getting so nowhere even close to uh, a competitive level that it's 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 a harmless it's truly harmless like you can't be hurt by that passing game so if if Jan, if Daniel Jones can keep putting up 700 plus yards rushing every year at 5 plus yards a carry that admittedly would be a little bit of a game changer for him because you can't scale up his passing there's just there's nothing to be done you can hide him mm. that's it if you expose him further, you're just going to get wrecked for it. So uh, that's the danger there, too, is like if, if they do keep him around and they do get better receivers and they say, hey, Daniel Jones has better receivers. We can throw more now. Guess what? You can't. You still can't throw more. If You, you might get be- you will get better returns on the, on the passing you're doing. But if you try to throw more with Jones, it's just going to go bad. We know that. And I bet, too, that the fumble count in particular was just kind of a just kind of a high BABIP thing. Like, yeah. He, if he has like eight fumbles in his next uh, 10 games, I don't think that should surprise anybody. So um, if you're asking like, is Daniel Jones better than like, uh, I don't know, Malik Willis or something like, yeah, he's better than that. So I guess if, if, if you're, if you're phrasing the, the situation for the Giants is like, are they going to take Daniel? Are they going to go with Daniel Jones or a, a absolutely horrendous rookie quarterback? Yeah. Prospect? Like, okay, I guess Jones, but why do we have to limit ourselves to that? No, exactly. All right. So that that's a good like kind of cautionary analysis on, on Jones because it, I I do feel like I, you, the word was perfect apologia uh for for Daniel Jones and you know, he just simply wasn't a or 
we thought he would be the reason they had a bad year and he wasn't. So like, yeah, people just yeah. Kinda, people are just going like, I guess he's good though. Like, you don't have to think that way. You don't have to chase the the little when when someone throws the jangling keys, you don't have to run after it. Right. And the um the Vikings games too, in particular, like the, those do stick out in people's minds. I feel like the one in December and, Dable, and then Dable um, had the Donatel in such a sharp shooter. It's like you could put in. You know, Chase Daniel or whoever, and it, they would have had about the same result. So, hmm. All right. That that's uh. All right. As far as the Giants go, yeah. That I th- I think that we will see n- not a ridiculous contractor or definitely one that's kind of smartly drawn up on the on the Giants side of things. I, I think that they probably know deep down that you know that this year is about as good as it's going to get for for him. It's probably not going to get a a ton better. Uh, even if you put better pieces around him. So, yeah, I, I could see it being something where, like, the guaranteed money runs out by, like, 25 and they're yeah, ready to go of, do something else. Think of the headlines and, you know, the general tone of uh, around that co- uh, the contract Rodgers signed, and he's already movable. It's like you, you heard the contract. It was like, Rodgers and the Packers come to an agreement on, you know, like, three-year, $150 million contract. And you must think, like, oh, my God guaranteed contract or the guaranteed dollars must make it impossible to move that contract and now here we are uh in january of 2023 and if the packers designate aaron Rodgers as a post june 1st trade they'll actually save like 1.5 million on the cap so if if you see that if the if uh the giants sign jones to some kind of like would otherwise seems like impossibly expensive deal it probably just is not that actual it's probably not actually that expensive yeah. All right. I definitely see that. Um, let's open the can of worms that is the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Well. Oh, you yeah, uh, it's open already? Okay. I was, let, I was giving you time to, to open the can. Yeah. It's open. It's open. Um, you know, I, oh, God, I thought last stinks. week's game was, it was inexcusable for, for the Bills. Um, you know, I, I think that there's been so much coddling i guess of josh allen and the bills i think that they're a team that the general public can root for because they've never really gotten to the mountaintop they've gotten painfully perilously close uh and then you know in recent years after you know a really long stretch like almost two decades worth of ineptitude they have a guy that you could see potentially getting them to that mountaintop and josh allen and, you know, he's made strides from where he was as, as a rookie and a second year player to where he is now. And you, you see the the game last year, the, the classic out in Kansas City, the, the second year in a row that they had lost to Kansas City in the, in the postseason. Um, but it, it felt like, OK, this is this is the Bills year uh, they, they go out week one. They just trounce the, the defending Super Bowl champions in L.A. It's like, OK, wheels up. Um, Allen gets hurt. Um, bangs up the uh, elbow against the Jets midseason, never really recaptures that. But I, I think that bottom line, the Bills just kind of were were built in such a, a specific way where they weren't they weren't able to do anything if if their if Plan A didn't work, which was Josh Allen just being Superman, and he wasn't Superman last Plans week. Plans A through A through E or F, I would even say like it's yeah, it's just anytime something goes wrong with them. And I don't know why this didn't strike me as like a more concerning statement when I said it at the time, but on the radio uh, with Jim or Joe, I can't remember. It was like, I I just thought, what happens when Josh Allen doesn't go? They always ask Josh Allen to go. 
They just, mm-hmm. it's like when, when Josh Allen can't do something, they say, okay, ask Josh Allen to do more then. Like that's, that's, it's just categorically a dead end kind of set of reasoning and it's yet it is not unfair to say that's what their actual approach was. No, it, I mean, it was, and, and you know, that he, I, I couldn't quite find a, a clean search to, to look this up without having to like go through like every single box score from the year, but the amount of times that he must have been their leading rusher or within a couple yards oh, yeah. of leading them in rushing this year must have been about half the games, if not more, not overly sustainable. So they, they've, you know, I think the argument is going to be that this offseason that, oh, they need a running game, but they just, you know, spent all this draft capital on on James Cook. Are they going to get back to it? It's like, well, that, that's a bad pick. Don't like don't make it worse. Don't compound it yeah. by avoiding fixing it. You know, so so whether it's free agency or whether it's going for another day two running back, they need something that that's more consistent in the backfield to, to take some of that pressure off of Josh Allen. And then um, I, I think the other thing. I don't know. What what do we make of, of Gabe Davis? Have we been kind of like oversold on, on the weapons that, that Josh Allen has at his disposal? I don't think so. I mean, I know people fixate on drops and uh, things like that, but I, I, I just don't care. I mean, one of those plays last week, uh, that was just Cam Taylor Britt making an incredible play. Yeah. uh, The one down the sideline. I saw people complaining about Gabe Davis and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is, this is cope. This is tilt by Josh Allen, super fans. And if you need to find a, a culprit out of this group, and, and if you if you need to make Gabe Davis of all people the culprit, then you you're not even good at finding you know the rat in your own crew. It's like it's Isaiah mm-hmm. McKenzie who's killing this offense, and it's people people won't have you know the perspective. They won't do the the research, which I understand enough the the research part of it. But it's like if you just look at the Bills' stats for a few seconds, it shouldn't take you long to figure out where the weak link is, and it's not Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is being misused. I will say that. They're using him in a role that doesn't suit his abilities, and um, I don't know what I don't know what the reason is for that exactly. It's like Did, the Bills does Ken Dorsey suck? I don't is that think possible? So. I mean, or at least I don't know. I don't. I don't. I have no idea how to tell. Uh, and, and to be fair to Dorsey, they did this under Dable too. They used Davis as like a downfield specialist, and like that. Go watch D- uh, Gabe Davis at UCF. He catches balls all over the place. They use him at all depths, and he was a workhorse receiver, which is to say they had to get him underneath an intermediate targets, which the Bills almost categorically rule him out for. Their 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 approach is basically like we we'll try to get Diggs going at the first two levels, and if he's covered, look for Davis. He's at the third level, and when you run a four five four forty, you can't be a third level specialist. You can be you can be in the third level off of double moves. You can be in the third level. Uh, in hurry-up situations. You can be in the third level off of play action. If that's your default area of operation, you need to be running a low 4-4. You can't access that depth fast enough to come into play in route progression. So do you think... Oh, sorry. Do you think that that's an extension of their Josh Allen hubris where it's like, well, he can get to the third level because Josh is going to be you know, running around uh, trying to extend the plays back there, therefore giving Davis enough time to get to that depth. Well, I think, I think it's, I think they're just making a mistake reasoning on Davis's part and I can understand it enough. I think what they're doing is they're fixating on how he's generally a good jump ball receiver. They're like, Hey, he's good at making catches and trap. He's good at, you know, going down the sideline and getting higher in the air than the guy who's on him and bringing down the ball for a cool catch. And, that that is true. Davis can do that. 
but it's not the thing you should try to have him do the most. He did a lot of bread and butter type stuff at UCF, and he would be more effective on routes that that were more a, a route tree that was more varied. Um, like they saw him do a cool thing one time, and they they just you know they they ran with the premise too far. They're like, what if we what if he only did this? And like, yeah, what that'd be cool if he could just always go and make that catch, but that's not easy to do. And Josh Allen isn't usually throwing that ball. He's usually looking and seeing like, oh, Davis has a guy on him. I'll, I'll, I should look for Knox or whatever. And um, in any case, what they should be thinking about is uh, they should stop fixating on this Isaiah McKenzie, uh, tiny slot receiver obsession of theirs. Like that's not helpful to have. They, they seem committed to the, the actual archetype too. They're like, we got to have a five foot eight, 180 pound slot receiver. You got to have those. Like, you could have Gabe Davis run from the slot and you should not all the time, but they, they should switch it up is what I'm saying. He's, 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 capable of making the downfield play, but only, or, or rather most particularly when the defense is, is concerned about other things too. And at UCF, like if you didn't cover him underneath or in the intermediate, he'd eat you up there. And then he'd make a big play downfield. If you tried to, to shore up your, your underneath coverage. Whereas with the bills, it's more like you just sit deep and wait for him. And you know, the ball won't go there very much because Diggs is going to get 12, 15 targets and McKenzie's going to run 40 useless routes and get, you know, six targets himself. So it's like, if you're a defense, you, you know, like, okay, so for those remaining, uh, whatever, 12 targets, it's either gotta be Knox or Davis. They don't throw to Davis before 15. So don't worry about that. Like you just, you just start zeroing in on certain uh, tendencies and, and you can kind of build a custom defensive scheme in response to the bills offense. And I think if, if you're, if you're building it smartly, you can make it really tough on the bills. If you can contain digs, which, uh, I mean, to back up a little bit, I think the, the Bills were hurt really badly in this game by the snow and the weather. And, Which is um, inexcusable. Right. It's like a, it, it's it's like a conventional excuse for the game going the way it did. But when, you know, Brandon Bean, he's he's done a good job, I think. But he I also think is one of those guys who probably reads like 538. He probably reads like he probably he probably uh talks with like thomas dimitrov or something like, like no uh, uh, uh brandon b probably has like eric eager's phone number or something you know these kinds of things <laughs> these, these kinds of these kinds of red flags um he he believes uh he believes in like tesla things like that um so he's he's susceptible to all like postmodern data brained idiot culture and uh i think you see that in the construction of their offense which is clearly it's, it's centering on like the, the theory of like passing game, passing game, maximize the passing game. You don't need to run. If you do run, have a tiny running back who sucks so that you're not yeah. tempted to run. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like have, have, have tiny running backs who can't do anything. And then that, that way you won't be tempted into the, uh, you know, the sin of, of running the ball with a good running back that you gave a livable wage. So hmm. they're like, we got to get we got to get these crap running backs who suck and catch passes and are tiny and can't do nothing. And um, that's why they spent that second round pick on James Cook. By the yeah. way, to be fair to James Cook, did anyone notice his actual returns as a pass catcher this year? Because were the they not theory, good? The whole theory with James Cook and the justification for his awful profile and the, the indefensible selection that the Bills made was that, hey, you know, these, these dinosaur backs that you guys like so much, these 230 pound dinosaurs who can't catch the dang ball, they're on the way out. This is the new breed. And 
James Cook is going to fit the NFL even better than he did in college because he's just like ahead. He's so ahead of the time. You don't even know he's good, dude. Yet he's he's like so ahead of time. He he, he hasn't even tried to be good yet, and it's it's going to be nuts when he gets in the NFL where the, where his actual abilities are valued in in the future. And uh, he's going to be a great pass catching threat. And you know this 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 meat headed stuff that you care about running for short yardage, running twenty times in a game. That's over, man. We got we got the new Eckler here in James Cook. And watch this, guys. Oh, what? 32 targets for 180 yards? He caught 21 of 32 targets? That's, uh, what is that, like 66%? Yep, 65.6%, uh, 9.4% drop rate. Uh, really not a whole lot of yards after the catch either. 5.6 yards per target. So 0.656 times 5.6, uh, what is that, like 3.4 or something like that? So if, if you think of it this way, uh, James Cook was like less effective in, in terms of per if you multiply. So I, I, I call the uh, I don't know, someone probably calls it like success rate or something like that. But uh, if you take the completion percentage times the yards per target, you get the effect like the in effect yardage per usage uh, more, more, uh, more fair, in my opinion, than the yards per target figure, which is just, you know, on the on the targets. Uh, this is this is accounting for the failure rate, which is a third of the time. And. Like, think about the cost of that. A third of the time, this ball hits the ground. And when you do catch it, it's for 5.6 yards per target. You need to have that up, like, by nine or something to be worth it. And uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm leading into a point that is not that James Cook is a bad pass catcher. I don't even think he is. I think there's something to do with the structure of the Bills' offense that makes it impossible for running backs to catch passes. And you saw going into this year, there's a lot of this stuff about Josh Allen needs help from the running backs. Those damn running backs are betraying him. And they're not helping him enough by doing the one thing they're allowed to do, which is catch passes. They shut their mouth and catch passes and never open their mouth. That's what they're okay. That's what the, the, it's okay for them to do. Anything else is wrong. And and you know, James Cook, thank God, will will start correcting that issue. And uh, it's like uh, maybe it's possible instead. I mean, Devin Singletary is probably a bad pass catcher, and I don't mean him so much. But Zach Moss caught lots of passes at Utah. And what did he do in the Bills' offense? Nothing as a pass catcher. So I saw that as concerning for Cook, but this still this still turned out way worse than I thought it was going to be. I thought Cook was going to be a vague disappointment. I remember that one kid was just saying like he's going to be rookie of the year because of second round draft capital in the Bills' oh, offense. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, being able to actually hold the ball is not a prerequisite apparently anymore. Um, but anyway, so Cook can't get the ball as a pass catcher. As a runner, he falls apart after like five or six carries. Yep, Useless I knew that. Pick. Like. That that was easy to tell coming out of college. Yeah, so uh, it's it's all annoying, and uh, but again, I do I do mean to, and I'm not even blaming Allen for this either. I'm, I think it's something to do with the structure, uh, the the spread shotgun insistence. Something about their their actual infrastructure as an offense just makes it difficult for running backs. Maybe it's something to do like most most running back targets or a lot anyway are kind of like of a checkdown sort. And when you, I, at least when I try to recall Josh Allen dropping back to pass, he doesn't seem like a check down quarterback ever. No. Like the closest he gets to checking down, it's like the slot rep, the Cole Beasley rep or whatever. Every time he throws to a running back that isn't in a scripted setup, like a screen kind of setup, I feel like it's more like uh, the play is just dead and he's kind of like unloading the ball, you yeah. know, like. So I'm not saying James Cook is actually responsible for that figure, but it is even worse than what Singletary put up. Um, you know, it explains why Moss couldn't do anything as a pass catcher. And just as importantly as any of those things, if, if there is something to this, then it means they can't do anything about it. 
that they, they can either change the structure of the offense. Um, they can change the order of Allen's progressions, but the idea that they just got to put a JD McKissick in there and like, that'll fix everything. Like that's nonsense. It's, it's a structural issue, a structure that they built by choice. I think that that's the hardest truth about all of this is like, do they really have the ability to adjust on the fly going into, into next year and re- really kind of like overhaul everything? Or are they just going to run this back exactly the way that they did th- this year and last year and the year before and just hope that it that it's somehow a little bit different despite, you know, the Chiefs being just as good, if not better next year. The Bengals, obviously, they're, they're not going anywhere. The Jaguars are, are about to be a problem as well. I don't like it, it. It's hasty to to say that the window's closed. I, I don't. I don't know if that's the case, but oh no! I, it's at the very least though. They need. Uh, they could really use a dome. Is what they could use. Uh, they they built this team as if they play in Los Angeles or Miami or something. Like you are a Buffalo team. How is a Buffalo team? Do you have that Mac Jones game last year or this mm-hmm. game in the playoffs where? Pushed oh, around. We, could, we, we didn't have a chance. It was snowing outside. Mm-hmm. You're from Buffalo. Yeah, like that was, I mean, if you're like a Buffalo fan, like I feel like part of like the, the mystique is like, oh, we put, you know, we play somewhere that's like borderline uninhabitable. We just got to avoid the first round. Uh, we we got to avoid home field advantage. We got to play <laughs> on the road in the playoffs so that we can get some <laughs> decent weather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I don't know what what the what the way forward is for the Bills, but I, I thought that that was a, a good breakdown there. And then we the we are get better too. And sorry, I just want to say that I think that I, I'm not blaming McDermott for this, but I do think that obviously if they had Von Miller, it could have been a different outcome. Uh, so snow, Von Miller, those two things that could be enough for the Bills to get to the Super Bowl in an alternate timeline. Um, but yeah, they got it. The run. It's also on the run defense that you see that ideology of indifference toward the run games. Like they yep. couldn't. You the called that had. last week beautifully. I mean, I didn't expect it to go like that. Otherwise, I would have tried to find a way to put money on the Bengals, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's like they, they're indifferent toward run, running the ball on offense, and it shows in the play calling and the personnel. And on defense, it, you don't really see it so obviously as, as in, um, in close games. Because usually they, you know, Josh Allen just takes away the running option for the other team, and then it's no big deal. But mm-hmm. if, if Josh Allen is not Josh Allen, it all falls apart, even the defense. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, they, they got – bullied a little bit they you know you talked about their their linebackers a little bit overrated potentially smaller um and then yeah no von miller meant no pass rush so therefore you know you the big narrative going into last weekend's game was like well the the Bengals have are missing three of their starting offensive linemen you couldn't tell you couldn't right, tell and, at all. Uh, not to go into too much of a tangent but a way you make a bad offensive line look less bad is by running Run. a lot mm-hmm. and not just because it tires the defense and everything else. It's just an easier task to do, which is why you'll see on the Falcons roster this year, you're going to see some higher PFF grades than any of those guys have ever had in their lives, especially Kayla McGarry. And it's basically because they started running the ball so much that the fact that he sucked as a pass blocker just started to not really matter much in practice. And yeah, it's, it's not easy to, it's, you know, normally if you just run the ball and get no certain thing out of it, you'll, you're just, making your own loss arrive that much sooner. But when you actually have the leverage on the field positioning and the flow of the game, like the Bengals did, it's, it's a pretty reliable way to hide a bunch of uh, bum linemen. It, it sure is. Um, we are at 50 minutes, so we should probably get into this weekend's game. Sorry, Cowboys fans. I'm sure you've, 
heard and felt enough this week. We'll 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 touch on the Cowboys. We'll be fine, uh, Cowboys yeah. fans. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's only been thirty years or whatever. And it's it's next year. Next year is is definitely for the sure year. the one for sure. But before we get into the conference championship matchups, a quick message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com All right, let's get things rolling, Mario. Let's start off with the NFC Championship game. Kicks off at 3 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday. We got the Eagles, two-and-a-half-point favorites. Against the 49ers, this line has not budged very much, if at all. Um, your thoughts on, on the spread there? Does that does that make sense? Is that about in line with, with where you'd see it over under in this one, 46 and a half, so up about a point uh, from where it was earlier in the week. So slight indication that there's going to be, you know, a little bit more scoring than, than we initially expected based on based on the total. But, you know, either way, a uh, close game that we're expecting here with, with Philadelphia home team, of course, uh, coming out on top. Yeah. So I, I am not a better, I don't, I don't know any of the general rules that should be heated, uh, you know, about like road team of this spread, Ricky quarterback, this spread, whatever there might be to, to normally account for. So when I look at spreads, all I can really do is, uh, you know, defer to the really inexact idea in my head about how, roughly good they are and i'm like god oh, eagles seem sure let's call it two points better i don't know fine whatever uh i don't disagree with it um there might be something that i should be able to to notice there beyond that but i, I don't so it seems fine to me 
but uh, I am a little surprised that it's not three. Um, like I would have thought that the home field, uh, you know, three point rule would dictate that these would as roughly even teams or so I would have figured it would be just kind of, you know, three for the Eagles. So I guess you could say if it's less than three for the Eagles, there's some amount of uh, some amount of momentum, market momentum toward the 49ers. And uh, d- despite, you know, looking at the, the raw betting totals, it's like it seems like most of the betting uh, volume anyway, maybe not money is on the Eagles. Um, but like sportsbooks do presumably have to keep in mind like the uh, the public the public opinion anticipation on a line and how that yeah, it's, affect- a, it's about 80 percent on both the, the volume and the money uh, as far as the Eagles go. <sighs> That's interesting. Um that makes me that makes me like the Niners more. Right. I feel like last week this rule would have applied to the um what was it? The Bills, I think. Yeah, because exactly. I think I think the Bills were kind of getting that sort of action and it of course didn't work out. But I I do feel like it's something like three fourths of the time <laughs> in cases like this happen. It's it's the one it's the one where you're going, Well, why aren't they why are they betting why are they betting uh, you know, so why aren't they betting on the, the other one a little bit more? Uh, and, and when the line doesn't move more in response, especially, it seems that way. So I'm nervous. Uh, but like last week, taking the, the Bengals anyway, nervously as I might have, um, I'm sticking with the Eagles. It's not that I want to pick against the 49ers. I really don't. Uh, in fact, a couple weeks ago, or you know, at least before J- Jimmy Garoppolo's injury, I would have picked the 49ers as my favorite to win the NFC. I, I just can't see it with Purdy. And I I'm I really am a Jimmy Garoppolo critic. I don't want to make it sound like I think there's like some unbearable drop off from Garoppolo to Purdy, but Purdy has not done that much. And, and I, I don't mean that as a criticism of Purdy either. It's like he's just, he almost went undrafted. He's a seventh round rookie. He shouldn't be asked to do much at all so that he isn't doing much at all. I, I don't mean to make it sound like it's a, a failure on his part, but it's a reality that they can't get something out of him if they need it. Or at least if they, if they do need something from Purdy, they're already pushing their luck. They're already getting into, into a dangerous place. And I think you see reliably over, over this short time that Purdy's been the starter, you see uh, Kyle Shanahan correctly trying to hide him and trying to keep him underneath 30 pass attempts per game, trying to uh, hide him a little bit during high leverage situations and trying to make as much of his work as a passer off of play action, off of other various, uh, you know, helpful, helpful setups. So, I, I do think that there's a pretty good chance in this game that the 49ers need the quarterback to do more than they've otherwise asked Purdy to do to this point. And if that happens, I just see that as trouble for the, for the 49ers and, and uh, not in any way that I would ever hold against Purdy. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's not lucky that he's gotten this far, but the degree to which it's improbable is not a reason to believe in him further. It's a reason to worry about regression or just kind of like reality, you know, reappearing as, as you previously knew it. And so with Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, much more, Oh, it looks like the internet monster got John. Uh, I assume he'll be back yep. soon. Uh, where's, Oh, there he is. Uh, whereas Jalen Hurts, in my opinion is, is like a battle tested legitimate quarterback for a game like this. Uh, the 49ers just have to hide Purdy the whole time. And, I I guess it's possible they do that. I mean, if the, if the 49ers defense is lights out and Jalen Hurts has a meltdown game as a passer, we, we, we know 
the 49ers run game can, can bludgeon anybody with enough time, but uh, the, the Philadelphia run defense is a lot better than it was earlier in this year. Like Jordan Davis, Linval Joseph, and Demacong Sue. Those guys definitely shore up the run defense. And in a game like this might be deployed even more than they normally would. And that might make things tougher to run for the 49ers than they're accustomed to. At which point, if, if it were to get to that point anyway, you're going to have Purdy and his pass catchers, you know, Kittle, uh, Debo, Ayuk primarily, they're going to have to do something against these this Eagles coverage apparatus, which has uh, Darius Slay, James Bradbury outside. It's about as tough as it gets. And Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's probably better in the slot than Avante Maddox had been last year or most of this year. So I see a lot of trouble for most passing games against the Eagles, and it's just the 49ers are no exception. So I need the defense. I need the run game to bail out the offense, to, to offset that slack. And, um, yeah, it com- I think it just comes down to Hurts. Like, Hurts, I do think, has limitations as a passer, and I do think you can get him to have some really rough games. Of course, last year especially, there were some games, uh, you know, entire halves of games where it's like Hurts just looked like he couldn't play in the league. And adding A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith being in the second year, that pretty much took care of that. But uh, I, I think I think um, Hurts, limited or not, has about as much help as Brock Purdy does on the other side. And I just, uh, I'm worried about both quarterbacks, but I have to worry more about the rookie who basically went undrafted and uh, is playing on the road in this game. So uh, I think Purdy's tough. He's, he's certainly poised. I mean, the one thing that he actually has at an elite level is poised. I, I don't think the setting is going to scare him that much, but uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of a lot for pretty much any quarterback, but especially a rookie, especially seventh round rookie to go from a situation where everything is kind of favorable all the time and, and kind of helpful for you. And then all of a sudden the difficulty level goes up, not just uh, as the pressure goes up, but it's like, you got to go on the road too. I don't know. It seems, it seems like to me that the Eagles are a little maybe disrespected in the current spread, but um, I'm, I'm not exactly eager to pick a winner in this game. So it's not like I'm going to argue with anyone about uh, if they were going with the 49ers there, I certainly don't want to underestimate them or overestimate the Eagles. I just, I, I think it comes down to the quarterbacks and I, uh, simple reductive reasoning or not, I, I kind of prefer the veteran who's um, done a lot more lifting for his offense. It's like, that's the other thing, as much as Hertz has limitations, like he does real lifting. He just, he has certain weaknesses that you got to cover up. Like Birdie just kind of has to hang around and not do anything. And if they need him to do something, they might not like the results. So, uh, I'll go with the Eagles. I don't know what I, I don't know. I don't want to speak on John's behalf too much, but I I would imagine he's kind of leaning the Eagles. But uh, hopefully he, he can get online here and we can just ask him. And I don't have to speculate on what he thinks. But I'm going to start moving on a little bit to this uh, Chiefs Bengals game just to kind of um, stay vaguely on our original schedule. Uh. Chiefs now listed on covers.com as plus one. Uh, John, is that you? Yeah. Oh, John's back. Uh, John, who do you like in the Eagles? Oh. Give me one second here. Okay. All right. Oh, he's gone again. Um, I uh, I think we can assume that the, the, the line being Kansas City plus one is 100% in recognition of Mahomes' injury, which is 
frustrating, of course. Uh, the timing of it is uh, pretty annoying. You would have liked to have had this happen in September or something. But uh, he's apparently practicing fully. Uh, I don't think that he really is, or at least if he has a high ankle sprain, he's not practicing fully. Maybe he doesn't actually have a high ankle sprain. I don't know. But if you have a high ankle sprain, you are not practicing fully. You're you're um, tinkering with the definition of what practice is. And uh, it's basically he's, he's probably doing walkthrough kind of stuff. So that's a real problem. Uh, it, it meaningfully inhibits their game preparation, their game planning. And as much as Mahomes is not truly a running quarterback, as much as he doesn't need the run threat to propel his passing numbers – there are still times in games, and I, I would imagine they happen even more in the playoffs, where the Chiefs' offense just needs Mahomes to bail them out somehow. And in those situations, maybe they don't happen often, but when they do, we take for granted that Mahomes usually just breaks the pocket and gets a first down somehow, and, and then it goes back to the previous script. But what would happen if he doesn't get that first down? What happens to the script then? This game might kind of be the answer to that question, and uh, I would much more like the Chiefs' chances of withstanding this injury if they had a competent run infrastructure. I don't think they do. I think that would really hurt them in this game. If if Mahomes is limited, I, I just point blank take the Bengals because uh, if there's any sort of slack, if there's any sort of lifting that needs to be done that Pat Mahomes can't do, it doesn't get done. There's not a It's not a question. It just won't get done. So uh, because they can't get anything on their ground game, even against uh, weaker defenses, and because the Bengals' run defense is probably one of the best right now, I think you're going to have a game where the Chiefs wish they could run the ball, kind of like the Bills, and they won't be able to, and they'll lose for it, is how I see it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, that certainly plays into the Bengals' hands. I, I think, you know, uh, Mahomes not being able to create outside of the pocket would be, you know, a huge detriment to just the the shape and, you know, how they want to go about a- attacking uh, this Bengals defense. So like you said that you could see the direct parallels there where it's like, if Mahomes isn't Superman, the way that Josh Allen wasn't Superman for, for the bills, all of a sudden uh, the, the chiefs are in trouble. And, you know, we we've seen that this line move a decent bit throughout the course of the week um, where initially chiefs come out favored. Everyone hammers the, uh, the Bengals as a result, it, it climbs up to two and a half points uh, in favor of the Bengals now now we're seeing Two and a half oh wow it 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 got up there I mean it was it was pretty crazy but now uh, after Mahomes was able to put in like a full uh, full practice uh, on Wednesday the the line has shifted back but even if he's been able to practice I I mean there's no way that he's gonna be close to 100% with that type of injury yeah, and I'm actually the more I think about it, I'm getting more and more concerned that they listed him as a full practice participant. It's like you're lying. Yeah, it's like that, it's like that's fake. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's not practicing fully. So what are you hiding? Like if they just said, yeah, he's he's limited, I'd be like, yeah, probably is. But now like, right, he's fine. Everything's perfect. He's in fact he is 100 healthy. It's like okay, that's trying a little too hard. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that struck me as odd, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely. Uh, concerned about him and and uh, you know it, certainly just the the practice participation listing uh, isn't really changing my, my views on this one. I, I thought that straight up, even if Mahomes was healthy for this one, I thought that I would give the, the Bengals a pretty good shot at, at winning this oh, yeah. one. But yeah. with, with that injury, I think the Bengals are in. Yeah, man. I uh, 
I will say I I uh, I don't know what to make of the Chiefs' run defense. I, I I mentioned before the Bengals Bills game that I I kind of suspected the Bills were a fake run defense, and mm-hmm. I kind of feel that way about the Chiefs too. But I will say their linebacker personnel is so much better this year than in recent years. Like they'd have those annually bad chiefs run defenses, but it'd always be like Anthony Hitchens and like Ben, what, what was that? Was it was Ben Neiman? That one that, that like, it was like an Iowa guy or something. Oh some, yeah. Some, sounds familiar. Some just, or Minnesota guy, crap, big 10 linebackers. Um, like those guys are not the linebackers that the chiefs have now. Uh, Nick Bolton's done a good job. Uh, Willie Gay, I, I am, of course, still a Leo Chanel truther, but oh, yeah. uh, Willie Gay and uh, what's his name, uh, Bolton, have Bolton. Are, are way better than the, the Chiefs linebackers of yore. No, they, yeah, they absolutely are. Bolton, Bolton's a really good difference maker for, for them. Local guy, Missouri, so love to see that. Um, but uh, be, beyond that, I mean, what is, what is the way in which the, the Chiefs can ultimately win this game? It would would it because um, I, I think there is a difference in the the ability to make the Bengals pay for their offensive line injuries with with yeah. Chris Jones and company than there was with Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, I think Ed Oliver and Greg Rousseau are are really disruptive, but uh, they paid maybe a price for at least Oliver maybe paid a price for being kind of light. And uh, Chris Jones, you can get guys under him sometimes, maybe move him around a little bit, but he's certainly not light. And if you don't no. have that, if you don't have like a very competent leverage oriented blocker to stall him with, he can kind of wreck things. So I have no good sense of, of what to, to make of the Chris Jones factor. I mean, it, it's you always have to put him on watch for having just a total wrecker kind of game. And I guess he kind of did. Last year, did, what did he do against the Bengals last year? I feel like he, uh... he. I think he was going pretty crazy, but you know that the Bengals, for their part, you know, were shutting down the Chiefs completely in the in the second half, and that that kind of was the story of the game, really. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I uh, I am concerned about Chris Jones. I just short of him, I guess, like winning the game, I don't know how the Chiefs win it. I did. I, I feel like Jones needs to have an incredible record game to do that, though. Like he'd he'd need to wreck not just single handedly wreck the passing game of the Bengals. He would need to be able to to make sure like they can't get any first downs and can't turn short fields into points reliably. So I don't know. I uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta go with the Bengals, and I and I don't I don't mean to make it sound like I'm uh not giving the chiefs a chance. It's just that I feel like almost every conventional consideration you'd make, you, you call it advantage Bengals and it's uh, Mahomes or not. It's, it's just tough for any team. And I, I could just be, you know, making the wrong assessments in, in that, you know, itemization there. But I, I feel like it's, if, if we assume that it's correct to say that the Bengals have the advantages at, quarterback not because you don't have to believe he's Mahomes is as uh, that Burrow's anywhere good as Mahomes I don't but Mahomes on a high ankle sprain it's it's not just Burrow who's better there's other quarterbacks who are better than Mahomes right now and that's that's almost never the case otherwise it's never the case for the Chiefs otherwise they don't win when Mahomes is not Mahomes you know so mm-hmm. uh, I, I I don't want to dismiss the Chiefs in the arrowhead factors that and, and I, I said earlier like the Chiefs can't run 
they can run with Pacheco and they can do real actual running with Pacheco, but I don't know how much that scales up and I don't know how good he is. And I don't know if he's really going to play up against a defense like this one. I feel like Pacheco, as much as I kind of, I, I wrote some like apologia for him as a draft prospect, it was always while conceding, he's probably a horse blinder runner. You probably have to create the space for him, but if you do, what what is left at that point other than the motor and the speed you know it's like if if the if the space is cleared i don't see how he doesn't go this is one of those exceptions to that this is more like i don't see how the bengal's give him those lanes and if he doesn't have those lanes then i do worry about pacheco just running into his own lineman over and over and, and not just that he's had a fumbling problem all year that hasn't gotten talked about much and mm-hmm. if you put a guy, if you put a you know if you put an almost undrafted rookie running back Unto th- something this important, the, the stakes of this situation. Uh, I just I wouldn't want a, a running back who had four fumbles on the year going over fifteen carries in this game. No, that that definitely. But they need him but, to. If he can't get the fifteen carries, they can't compete, in my opinion. So that, that's a that sets up a tricky tricky spot for for the Chiefs because yes, like it, it, no matter what Mahomes looks like through the air, they're they're still going to need to run it a little bit more than than they have. Um, this might be a good spot for you to, um, to, to get the last laugh on, on, uh, Jarek McKinnon. I feel like, uh, so I'm, I'm not laughing. I, I, uh, didn't this isn't pick funny. him up. Yeah. I didn't pick him up for the designated uncovered guy role. And, uh, I should have known that would be a thing this year, but, uh, yeah. Also to be fair to myself, I did say all year long, that if they try to do this stuff in the playoffs, they're going to pay for it. And, um, I, I don't it's I'm not happy that a Pat Mahomes injury might be the reason that turns out to be the case. But it sure looks like it could be. Yeah. McKinnon's it, not doing anything. If they run with McKinnon, they lose fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean he's not getting past the, the second level um there. And then you know, if the field is kind of shrunk because of the, the Chiefs' inability to to throw, then you get the safeties coming up, the, the safeties are getting run support. Um yeah, th- this becomes you know, kind of a disaster uh, c- yeah. scenario for, for Kansas what's City. Funny, I think the Chiefs might have no idea what's coming for them. I think they really might believe like McKinnon's that good. Like they really do watch him just be uncovered over and over. Be like, wow, he's so good at being never covered. Uh, this that must mean he's good. Let's not ask the defense about this. <laughs> and then um, I, I guess I missed uh, a little bit of of your. Um, oh, Eagles, I didn't mean to uh, speak too much on your behalf. Uh, so, yeah, I was trying to ask you who you wanted uh, or not wanted, who you thought the the, the, the Eagles 49ers game would favor. I'm going to go back and forth on that one basically in, until kickoff on Sunday. But my my initial inclination is to go with, with the Niners. I know the Niners didn't look as good last week as the Eagles did in, in their game, uh, but they were obviously playing a, a worse opponent. Uh, in my opinion, obviously between the the Giants and the Cowboys, duh. Um, but I don't know. We, we my problem with the Eagles a little bit has been what do they look like when you know they they get punched in the mouth a little bit? They they get shown a little bit um, of it, of adversity, and I don't mean to say that in the sense of like, well, they they had to you know play part of the season with with Jalen Hurts uh, sidelined. I, I mean more in the game. You know, I, I keep going back to like the Washington Monday night game that they lost um, where that, you know, they turned the ball over and their their turnover differential was crazy before that game. And all of a sudden it's not going their way. And, you know, that they, they got beat by, by Washington. Um, again, I, I don't think it's necessarily a one to one clean comparison, but I, I do feel like 
the Niners aren't going to uh, just kind of roll over in this spot. I oh, feel like no. the, the Niners are, are going to force a lot of issues, I think, onto this uh, Eagles team. And how the Eagles respond, I think, is going to tell the tale of this game. If, if they can, you know, absorb the body blows and, and keep going and, and do what they normally do, then they probably win. And I think that, you know, there, there's a chance that Brock Purdy turns into a pumpkin. That, that's obviously uh, in the realm of possibility. But I also feel like the Niners have some fail-safes built in. Uh, it, you know, you'd like to see a fully healthy McCaffrey, a fully healthy Debo Samuel to kind of help account for those things. But yeah, if, if Purdy isn't sharp, there's still ways for, for the Niners to, to be able to move the ball in my opinion. So that plus the, the defense being as good as it is for the Niners, my, my lean is to go with, with San Francisco in this one. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I, like, what I was saying was I, I pretty much don't want to pick a side, uh, but if I had to, I picked the Eagles. Um, the way that I think it could go wrong for the Eagles is if uh, they basically force Jalen Hurts to, uh, I don't know, they need him to throw and throw badly. I just don't know how they get that to happen is the concern that I have. Uh, for what it's worth, though, if, if Hurts is just slightly off, I think that's enough for the Eagles to fall apart because I don't think they're going to be able to run at all. I think if they try yeah. to run, they'll just get nothing for it but uh, heartburn. So I think if they throw the ball aggressively and spread out the 49ers and test their corner depth. I like AJ Brown, Devonte Smith carrying the offense in that case, carrying hurts. If you need to call it that. Uh, but yeah, it's like on the 49ers side, if Purdy does nothing, they can still win. Whereas with the Eagles, if, if hurts does nothing, they're just categorically over at that point. Yep. I, I think so as well. Um, before we sign off here, I want to throw uh, the, this at you and see if there's anyone that that you would uh be interested in for the anytime touchdown scores uh for this weekend so we'll, we'll avoid the guys that are minus money to to get there like a christian mccaffrey travis kelsey uh and so on but any guys for, from this uh conference championship round that you could see getting in into the end zone that you'd like to uh potentially throw a couple shackles on uh for for the plus money specifically. Uh, yes. Huh, uh, that's tough because I feel like the Eagles offense especially is so reliably channeled. It's just like, can I bet on A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith at plus money? No? Okay. Well, um, who, well uh, you, you, can, you can get a little bit of a value on, on Brown uh, up to one plus 155 over on, on FanDuel. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I mean, I think – I so part of why I went with the Eagles – is that I do think AJ Brown is pretty much an inevitable player, and I think, I think Hertz is a little bit, uh, not, not that he's a fraud. He's not. I think he's just he is carried as a passer, and AJ Brown uh, is the kind of receiver who just because he's going against a conventionally tough matchup doesn't necessarily matter to me. Like I, I think if the quarterback is upright enough to throw the ball, AJ Brown beats the corner he's against. Yeah, no, he he does so that there's decent value on him. Uh, you can get Devonte Smith at, at plus one eighty five over on sure. uh, Fanduel, uh, two to one for for Dallas Goddard. I'm definitely uh, interested in that. Uh, George Kittle, I feel like, is another good one, plus one ninety over at BetMGM. Um, let's see here, uh, Debo Samuel pl- plus one seventy at a, at a couple of books. That that's pretty nice. Um, Elijah Mitchell, a uh, lot of variance on, on his, as high as plus three seventy. Uh, at FanDuel, but as low as plus one fifty uh, at BetMGM. Three, sorry, three seventy. That's almost like one of those um, 
is that like you don't even really need to believe that it's going to work kind of odds like you just kind of you just kind of buy it for the odds alone yeah um, I, I would say so yeah so elijah mitchell and Jawan jennings are the guys i would say like i there's no reason to think either one scores specifically but they're both capable and it's like Sometimes touchdowns come down to not really the guy beating anybody as much as the defense kind of just missing them, you know? Like, you might see Juwan Jennings catch a wide-open play-action touchdown or something. Yep, and you can get that at, like, 6-1 to one at, at a couple different spots. So, uh, that that's certainly, if you're in the anytime touchdown market, keep an eye on that one, of course. Uh, that's going to wrap it up uh, for us here. Apologies for the technical difficulties. Thank you, Mario, for... Uh, running through the the full NFC Championship uh, breakdown with me, uh, having a technological uh, breakdown over here. I'm actually going to have to run over to my other computer to to close out uh, th- this show here. But again, for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to this edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Try RotoWire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools. Rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.